At this time, I'd like to invite Nathan Galloway, and he's going to be reading our scripture reading out loud tonight. Would you uh, just tune in as he reads for us from Colossians 1? For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, until all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins. Lord God, we thank you for redemption. God, that you are the one to thank for redemption because of your grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. God, that you are the only one we could possibly thank for such an endeavor, such an accomplishment, such a a beautiful blessing. We thank you that, Lord, not only do you create us, but Lord, you redeem us and you restore us. So God, would you meet with us tonight to bless us? Would you be present to bless as we worship you for who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ? That God, we would be transformed tonight, that we'd be made more like Jesus tonight because we're reminded of the beauty of the gospel and that we see it through the book of Ruth in the act that Boaz redeems Ruth. God, would you Help us to see the beauty of that, to see the beauty of you (laughs) and how you've shown yourself uh, faithful in saving us. God, would you be worshiped tonight in spirit and in truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We started this sermon series in the book of Ruth back in April, and it began, oddly enough, with a man named Elimelech. Uh, Limelech's name means my God is king. And what's ironic is he did not live out that name. Uh, You see, Elimelech was from a town called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And in the midst of a famine, Elimelech leads his family, his wife Naomi and two sons, outside of Bethlehem, the house of bread, to seek bread in the country of Moab, which was not part of the promised land. And so he showed his God he was not king, at least not in Elimelech's mind. He went seeking bread outside of Bethlehem, outside the will of God. And there in Moab, um, he gives his sons to Moabite wives. And for 10 years, uh, they do not reproduce children. And for 10 years they find that their wives are barren and there is no heir to Elimelech's uh, uh, house, his family. So in the midst of tragedy, Elimelech dies and then his two sons die, leaving behind Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And we learned to pursue fullness of life in the will of God to see his loving kindness. Well, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem after those 10 years and after the death of her loved ones. Um, 
But shortly after, she pointed her two daughters-in-law back to their home country of Moab. And they put up a fight. Uh, they wept with her. They, they begged, with, begged her to, to let them go with her. And she was very insistent that they go back to Moab, back to their, their homes, back to their gods. And one of them does. But the other stays. And in fact, she doesn't just stay. She shows a commitment that clung to Naomi. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth, although she was not an Israelite, she believed and held fast in faith to the God of Israel, Naomi's God. We saw from Ruth's example that we are to learn from her how she clings to Naomi. We cling to the Lord in our commitment to follow him wherever he takes us. Well, when Naomi and Ruth arrive in the town of Bethlehem after those 10 years of being gone, people still recognize Naomi. Unfortunately, she doesn't want to be recognized as pleasant Naomi. She would rather be recognized as bitter Mara. And we saw how blessed are the bitter. Because although Naomi is blinded from God's blessing, he is still good to bless her. He was at work the whole time to bless Naomi through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so we learned that we need to process our own feelings in such a way that they would match our blessed reality. And so God begins to bless Naomi through Ruth, as Ruth decides she's going to go out gleaning and working in the fields nearby. And the Bible tells us she just so happens to go to the field of a man named Boaz, Bethlehem's most eligible bachelor. And it must have been love at first glean as we saw how Boaz provided for Ruth. And we noted how God, in his sovereignty, brings couples together for his good and glorious purposes. And we also learn to appreciate the loving kindness that God shows us by modeling it in our relationships with others. And as Boaz provided for Ruth, uh, it is mentioned that she ate until she was satisfied. The events of the love story basically unfold like it was the original eat, pray, love. Instead of going on some existential quest to find satisfaction, Ruth finds satisfaction in some of the most ordinary things. Ruth found satisfaction at meals and the prayers of others and in a love worthy of her hope a love similar to the love she showed others. And we learned that in eating with friends and in praying to God and loving others selflessly, we too can be satisfied in this life. After some time had passed, Naomi prompts Ruth 
to go to Boaz in the middle of the night. After working on the harvest all day, Boaz lays down to rest, and Ruth sneaks over to him while he is sleeping, and she positions herself between a robe and a soft place. And it may have appeared to be scandalous that night as two single adults laying down alone in the cool of the night, but there was no scandal that night. No, God was mentioned in their midst. Boaz made responsible decisions to protect himself and Ruth. And he started to work on a plan to redeem her and marry her. Meanwhile, we learned that love is a dangerously vulnerable commitment. And so we should choose our partner wisely and pursue holiness together. And the last words we read from the story of Ruth came from Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. As Naomi comforts Ruth, after she comes home from the night with Boaz, Naomi says to Ruth, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He will settle the matter today. And so tonight we see a redemption settled. That's tonight's sermon a redemption settled. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn in them to Ruth chapter 4 as we look at verses 1 through 13. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, and I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, 
You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilian and Milan. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Milan, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord, Yahweh, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Let me pray for us. Lord God, would you even now show us the beauty of the redemption that you have to offer us if we do not have. And that we would praise you if we do have it. God, would you be with us as we see where do we stand in terms of your redemption? God, we love you. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want to give you a recipe for redemption. Uh, that's what I think we see here in this passage. A recipe for redemption. It's a four-part recipe. The first part of the recipe for redemption is that redemption takes a plan. Redemption takes a plan. And we see that in verses 1 and 2, don't we? Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. It's very clear that Naomi was right. The man is going to settle the matter today. <laughs> he goes up to the gate. Right? He's planning all these different things. All right, so-and-so is going to walk by. You know, it, it takes a lot of planning. And I can kind of resonate with Boaz in this a little bit. Not to say that I'm about to redeem anybody, Okay. But I know I've planned something like this, uh, and it was recent, right? I, I got engaged, and I had to plan for that engagement. Now, very fortunately for me, Anna had a best friend, Natalie, who came in clutch, right? She did a lot of the hard work. And so I, I had somebody to help me in this planning, and it was very helpful. But there was a quite a bit of, okay, this person will be here, and this person will be here, and the ring will be here by this date. Like, there was a lot of planning involved. So I can kind of, I can resonate with where Boaz is coming from, because he's saying here, I got to be at the city gate at this time. When I spot uh, the Redeemer, I'll have him sit here, and I'll have the elders sit here. Took a little bit of planning. And that planning can be nerve-wracking, but it's also well worth it. The determination is fueled by a desire that overcomes all other emotions. And so you see, Boaz is determined because he has a plan. And that plan is unfolding before our eyes. The second part of our recipe for redemption is that redemption takes some work. Redemption takes some work. 
We see that in verses 3 through 5. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Redemption takes some work. Now, there's a way to read this passage that we may think Boaz is scheming the other redeemer, and that's not the case because we've got to remember two truths about Boaz. The first is that he has been a man of upstanding character throughout the story of Ruth. In fact, Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 starts out by telling us Boaz is a worthy man. He is noble. He is wealthy, yes, but he's also a hard worker as we've seen play out. He is a man of upstanding character. We have no reason to question his motives here. And then secondly, he tells the truth about the situation. The land is available to the Redeemer, and he even offers it up to him. If you would, do it. The land is available to the Redeemer if he wants it, but if he redeems it, he has to marry Ruth, that she is part of the deal. And he is making this known in truth. The rest of that passage is Boaz being smart and working hard. He didn't just plan to settle the matter. No, he did the hard and thoughtful work to, to see it brought about. He created a situation that, that both informed the Redeemer of all the facts and pressured him to make a decision right then and there. And both men are fully aware that that decision will be costly brings us to our third part of the recipe for redemption. Redemption comes at a cost. Redemption comes at a cost. See verses 6 through 10. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, what he's saying there is this, this would cost me my inheritance. My inheritance would be diluted because in redeeming, you're basically saying I'm dividing my inheritance between the one I'm redeeming, Elimelech in this case, and his line, and his own. So it's, it's going to cost one of them something substantial. Verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming the exchange. To confirm the transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. I love this verse because it shows us that even in the times of the Bible, they were looking back and saying, yeah, what they did was a little weird. Right? They took off their sandal for an agreement. Like, now we shake hands, you know, we shake hands like businessmen, right? Business has been accomplished, right? I, I, I don't know where I was going with that. But this is, this is something we see here, and it is weird. 
And they're even saying, yeah, we knew. That was kind of weird. We got to explain that. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Milan. Also Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milan. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. He knows it's going to cost him something. But Boaz is willing where the other redeemer was not. It didn't mean that it would cost him less. It means that he sees Ruth as worth the cost, while the other simply did not. Ironically, the unnamed redeemer was more concerned with his own name than perpetuating his dead relative. And we remember Boaz by name. Do you, do you see that? He is known as Boaz. And this other one, the unnamed redeemer who is concerned with his own name and inheritance. Boaz, he's more concerned with the woman he loves than his own name and his own inheritance. He sacrifices his own estate for the sake of a barren widow to whom he has committed himself. And as we face the reality of all that Boaz had to his name and what little Ruth had to offer him, we would be in our right mind to ask the question, is she worth it? Is she worth it? And the resounding answer is yes. Of course. Of course she is worth it. Because our fourth part of the recipe for redemption is that redemption comes with a blessing. Redemption comes with a blessing. Verses 11 through 13. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, yep, we're witnesses. May the Lord Yahweh make this woman who is coming into your house like that of Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And Boaz, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And Boaz and Ruth, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord, Yahweh, will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Redemption comes with a blessing. The elders bless Ruth by praying and asking God to give her fertility 
and make her like the wives of Jacob. I don't know if you remember, Rachel and Leah combined gave birth to 12 sons who became the nation of Israel over time. And so they're praying, hey, God, do it again. We've seen you do it, and here we are. Do it again. They also bless Boaz, praying and asking God to prosper him through this relationship with Ruth and make him more wealthy, more renowned in Bethlehem. And then finally, they bless both of them, bless their household, praying and asking God to provide a prominent family line through this couple. And that's, that's pretty important. That's a big deal. Because if you'll notice, the elders are more focused on blessing the line of Boaz than continuing the line of Elimelech. Boaz, he was just concentrating on doing the right thing even when it was difficult. And what ended up happening is that he gets blessed way beyond what he may have expected. It's kind of like when you find somebody's wallet and you return it to them and they let you keep the cash inside. The recipe for redemption included quite a bit of planning, some hard work, a heavy cost, as well as a beautiful blessing. And Boaz fulfilled his role as redeemer and was rewarded with a wife. It's important to note that Boaz saw in Ruth what others saw. Others knew her to be a worthy woman as he tells her in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen, they know you are a worthy woman. What a beautiful picture of a worthy man recognizing a worthy woman. Boaz saw in Ruth what others saw. But here's the difference maker. While Boaz saw in Ruth what others saw, he was the only one both willing and able to pay what it cost to redeem her. Boaz saw in Ruth what others saw, but he was the only one both willing and able to pay what it cost to redeem her. He was able in that he was the kinsman redeemer. There was only one in front of him, and he did what all he had to do, showing he was willing to redeem her. Not worried about the parcel of land. He's after her, both willing and able to redeem her, no matter what the cost. So here's the million-dollar Sunday school question. Who does Boaz foreshadow? Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus. Boaz saw in Ruth what others saw, but he was the only one willing and able to pay what it cost to redeem her. 
Jesus saw in you what no one else saw. And I'd say that's for good, the bad, and the ugly, but there's just bad and ugly. There's only sin and rebellion with us. Jesus saw in you what no one else saw, and yet he was the only one willing, able, and wanting to pay what it cost to redeem you. Jesus saw in you what no one else saw. And he was the only one willing, able, and wanting to pay what it cost to redeem you. And that's why I had Nathan read Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we see the perfect recipe for redemption, don't we? The perfect recipe for redemption. And that first, God planned it from the very beginning. As we read in Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6, in love he predestined. Don't be scared of that word. All it means is planned beforehand. Every time it's mentioned in Scripture, it's always in a positive light. As we see the two words in front of it. In love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He had it planned from the very beginning. <laughs> Take some planning. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think God has Boaz beat. Second, Jesus worked it out to completion. If it takes some work, Jesus worked it out perfectly and to completion. As we read in 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation. He is the atonement. He made right our sins. He is the propitiation, appeasing God, in all of his holiness, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, not as just mere individuals, not just that he's thinking about me on the cross, but also for the sins of the whole world. All would have an opportunity to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and be saved having the forgiveness of their sins, that they may be redeemed, that we may be redeemed, not just I, not just me, we. He worked it out to completion. Third, it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. Not just a worldly inheritance, not just a name. 
it cost Jesus his life. The God of the universe laid down his life because he loves you. Would you just sit with that truth for a second and feel the weight of it? It cost Jesus his life. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death. Death on a cross. Torture. Excruciating pain. Why? Because God's holiness demanded it. That his blood would be poured out in such a way that God's wrath is satisfied. What does our sin do to God? Take a look at the cross. How much does God love you? Take a look at the cross. And then fourth, it blesses us beyond measure. It blesses us beyond measure. As we continue in that passage of Ephesians 1, would you just have this passage spoken over you that you would just see the immeasurable blessing that Christ Jesus has purchased for you? That in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses? according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. The immeasurable blessing, measurable blessing that he has stored away for us in Christ is miraculous, remarkable, beautiful, beyond words. Do we realize it? Do we live like it? Out of all those blessings in there, I want to draw your attention to one. And it's the one that tells us it's a promise. It's not just a thing, it's a person. It's the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That this text tells us that if we are adorned in the blood of Jesus Christ, if we are saved from our sins, 
we have living inside of us the Holy Spirit, the power of God, which as this passage draws to our attention, seals us, keeps us, guarantees us of what awaits us. I'm not sure where you stand in terms of redemption. I don't know if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you may even think, I don't think I've earned my salvation yet. Let me, let me just pump the brakes for you. You haven't because you can't. That if it isn't by this, that it was God's planning, God's working, God's cost, and His blessing, then you're not redeemed. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the way you're redeemed. So I want to ask you a question that has been on my kind of mind for the last couple of months as I first heard it. I heard a pastor ask this, and I even used it in my own sharing of the gospel with others. On a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being not sure, 10 being totally certain, how sure are you that if you were to die tonight that you would be with the presence of God in heaven? I'll say that again. On a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being not sure, 10 being totally certain, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you would be in the presence of a holy God and all that is good instead of in hell, eternally separated from God and all that is good? Scale from 1 to 10, how sure are you of where you stand? Think about it in your own head. Is it a 2? Is it a 5? Is it a 7? Is it a 9.5? What I'm telling you that the Bible tells us, it can be a 10. In fact, it should be a 10. That if we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we can be sure. We can know that we know that we know that we're saved. Why? Because it's not up to us. It's not up to how much I can work and try to achieve and earn a right place with God. No. Right relationship with God requires right relationship with God. If, if we have been provided with a redemption that gives us right relationship with God, it's because it required one. And we're not it. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Amen. I don't say that to fuss at you. I say that to invite you. If it's not a 10, let's talk. If it's not a 10, Let's talk, because there may be some things we have to have to flesh out. God redeems us for the praise of his glory, that that's why we exist as Christians. That's why we gather on Wednesday nights. It's because we can't get enough of worshiping our God, and not to say that this is it, right? We do this because it sends us back out there where we worship in what we say, we worship in what we do, worship in how we live, how we interact with others, that this time catapults you into the rest of your week as you continue 
to worship God, to the praise of His glory. That that's why we were created. That's why we were redeemed. That's why we're being restored. And eventually, when we do enter into the presence of God, that's why we will be glorified. And so that eternally, we can praise the glory of God. That's not us up in the clouds singing with a little harp. That's us living in bodies that don't grow old and don't get sick. Having relationships that like we have on earth and we're like, I can kind of understand eternity because I don't want this to end. I love this person. I love this conversation we're having. I want it to continue on into eternity. It makes sense. Because we were designed to the praise of his glory. That is the purpose of our redemption. That we would praise him for what only he can purchase. And as an act of our praise, we do two things. Two main points tonight. The first, the primary point, we enjoy the right relationship that God has provided us in our redemption through Jesus Christ. We enjoy the right relationship that God has provided us in our relationship through Jesus Christ. That we know peace because the Prince of Peace. We know God. Because he saved us. We enjoy right relationship with the God of the universe, who at one point in time, as Romans tells us, we were enemies. We wanted nothing to do with God. We were living our way and our world. And yet God makes his enemies his friends. Doesn't he? Isn't that what we sang? We enjoy right relationship that God has provided us in our redemption through Jesus Christ. Redemption provides right relationship. Secondary point, we participate in God's redemptive work by pointing others to our Redeemer. We participate in God's redemptive work by pointing others to our Redeemer. It's like, take your son or daughter to work day, where we get to hold hands with our dad. Show me what you're doing, dad. He's like, all right, I'll teach you. We participate in God's redemptive work. It's his work to be accomplished. It's not up to us. We are active participants. We get to. It's not that we have to. We get to. Participate in God's redemptive work by pointing others, people that don't know him and don't care to know him. Tell them anyways. Amen. That we would point others, even if they don't deserve it, because guess what? They don't, and neither did we. Point them to their Redeemer. And you know what? Our God's good enough He might just save them. He might just show you up. You thought you knew. You thought you diagnosed their sin. You thought, no, there's no way. Remember, God stopped Paul dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus. Blinded the man. (laughs) Said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? 
And he won that man to be the greatest missionary that's ever existed on this earth. Why? Because only God. (laughs) Would you participate in God's redemptive work that he has to do in your spheres of influence? There are people I can't reach. I'm an introvert. I'd stay locked up in my office and thinking all the time if I could. (laughs) Yet still, I know I, I need to be obedient to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you. Hey, when you have that hard conversation with a coworker, you know a promise that comes to mind? It's when Jesus says, hey, I'm with you. Next time you have that thought to share, as Brother Steve says, that's not from Satan. It's the Holy Spirit wanting to use you. You get to. Why? Because redemption perpetuates more redemption. That's our God. That he would redeem us on his way to redeeming others. That the gospel came to us on its way to someone else. That's our God. That's how he works. We enjoy that right relationship and we get to participate in the continued redemption that he has to do in this world. Boaz redeemed Ruth. And it was beautiful. It is a beautiful story. And we've been building to it since April. But it's all, not just to be a good old-fashioned love story from the Old Testament, It's to foreshadow the greater redeemer, the one who was to come and has come and is coming again. Where do you stand with redemption? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? A scale from one to 10, where do you stand? Because I'm here to tell you, the Bible tells you it could be settled. Just like Boaz settled it that day, you can settle it today. And if you have been redeemed, I love telling you this, your redemption is settled. It is settled. Live in that promise. Breathe in that promise. Enjoy that right relationship. Participate in the redeeming work. Your redemption is settled.